so Rose, played by Kirsten Stewart. Yes. Uh, the late Kirsten. Wait, you just said Kirsten Stewart? Or no. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, sorry. Kristen Stewart. I know, I know, I realized that. I realized wow. That. <laughs> um, the gays are logging off. They're not listening to this podcast oh, anymore. No, we'll yeah, this. we're in a fight. Uh, Hello, welcome to Cinema Very Gay, the podcast where we talk about the full spectrum of LGBTQ plus movies. The good, the bad, the offensive, the anthrax cows. I'm your host, Kevin, here with my co-host, Jake. And today we are going to be talking about The Power of the Dog. Welcome back to Cinema Very Gay. This is Kevin. This is Jake. We're talking about The Power of the Dog. Yeah, so this is a, a newer movie. Mm-hmm. It came out in late 2021 and is getting some awards buzz. Yes, lots of awards buzz. It's right now the front runner. This is according to Gold Derby, but also I guess just generally critics seem to be loving it. What is Gold Derby? Gold Derby is like the Oscar predictions or like awards predictions website it oh. does like power rankings of does it give odds for people yeah. who are betting and stuff like that yeah oh, okay. so you can do it by expert experts by critics by award interesting guild okay it's great yeah so if you just like go there first thing that pops up is like oscar best picture winner and this is in the lead it has been for a while i think since it premiered or shortly after it premiered cool so yeah this is this is going to be a big big player at the uh, awards circuit this year. I think it's picking up lots of film critics awards, um, acting, directing, screenwriting, some technicals. Yeah, so I have a summary here. Uh, oh boy. You've not seen it before. I have not. I'm proud of this one. I'm I always have... proud of them. Honestly, I haven't, I haven't written one I'm not proud of yet. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always proud of this too. Oh, I can see some things that I'm going to have to... <laughs> okay. All right. The Power of the Dog is a Western film written and directed by Dame Elizabeth Jane Campion, DMZM, a.k.a. Jane Campion, Mm -hmm. not to be confused with her sometimes producer, Jane Chapman. Yeah. I started watching a couple of Jane Campion movies this past week, and it was like a Jane Chapman production. I was like, wait, am I watching the wrong movie? (laughs) Wait, what does DMZM mean? It's an order of merit for New Zealand, so I guess it's probably like a congressional medal of honor dame Dame madam zealand master (laughs) anyway campion who early in her career became the second female director ever nominated for an academy award is an auteur of the female gaze known for her complicated female characters her predilection for period pieces and her generous use of full frontal male nudity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the power of the dog is campion's first film in over a decade it stars a John Wayne Larper, Norman Bates, mm-hmm. the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, and some drunk lady. <laughs> so rude. John Wayne Larper. Oh, God. All right. The late Philip Seymour Hoffman runs a lucrative ranching business that he and his brother inherited from their wealthy parents. Important plot point. 
Meanwhile, his brother, a man cosplaying as John the Duke Wayne, slums it among a bunch of ranch hands and affects folksy frontierisms like saying banana instead of piano. I hate it. I hated that. <laughs> that drove me nuts. <laughs> and Bronco Henry instead of dirty, smelly cowboy daddy who teaches me how to be a man. <laughs> <laughs> Enter some drunk lady and her son, Norman Bates. That's... It's a great comparison, actually. Thank you. <laughs> Norman, a.k.a. Little Lord Fauntleroy, a.k.a. Miss Nancy, is a skinny, lisping doctor in training who makes, honestly, some really cute paper flowers. Naturally, the man impersonating Hollywood's most famous draft dodger takes Norman for easy prey. What ensues is a taut psychological drama that serves to remind people of the danger of mistaking an edible complex for homosexuality. Those interested in reading more on the subject are invited to read. Oh, jeez. <laughs> are invited to read Jake's seven hundred page dissertation, "The Queer Epistemic Injustice Sublimated as Hero Worship and Jane Campion's Power of the Dog," to be released by Duke University Press, December twenty twenty five. Yeah, I mean, we're still finishing up like some couple things with the contract. Was, but, oh, okay, yeah. How how'd you get uh, Duke University Press? Um, because it's a real press. I've been talking to them about it. Oh, great. Yeah happy for you thank you anyway yes the, the, i can't with the norman bates it's <laughs> not fantastic. it's not wrong that's fantastic i also love that you've just completely reduced rose to some, some drunk lady some drunk lady so rose played by kirsten stewart yes uh the late the, wait you just said kirsten stewart or no uh kirsten dunce sorry kristen stewart i know i know i realized that i realized that. wow <laughs> um the gays are logging off they're not listening to this podcast oh, anymore no, we'll yeah we're in a fight uh so yeah <laughs> kirsten dunce plays rose who's correct. some drunk lady <laughs> correct the late philip seymour hoffman is jesse jesse Plemons. every time i see him in a movie now like or like half the time when i see him in a movie i'm like if philip seymour hoffman were alive he would be playing he would role. be doing this it's like which i don't i, I like jesse plemons interesting yeah but he is sort of like the uh the doofiness of like philip seymour hoffman and boogie nights mm -hmm. but he's he's got that like earthiness that philip seymour hoffman had he's just he's really sweet though yeah jesse but plemons also, yeah or his character in this movie probably George. both jesse seems lovely yeah and he's dating they're, he's they're dating. married yeah they're, they're both they're married yeah so Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst, sorry, wow. Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons are married, uh, mm -hmm. so they play a husband and wife in yes. this movie. Yes. Um, Norman Bates is <laughs> uh, Peter. Peter. Peter, played by Cody Smith, Smith McBee, mm -hmm. and he is uh, Rose's son, son. Yep. from a different marriage. Yes. And Benedict Cumberbatch plays Phil who is i mean he is i wouldn't be surprised character. i have not i did not watch any interviews with benedict cumberbatch i'm guessing he was kind of actually doing a john wayne impression in this movie he sounds like mm. him sometimes i can see that or if not an impression i'm guessing he was like inspired by john wayne and especially in the movie too mm -hmm. is clearly inspired by at least the searchers, the searchers. there are several I was thinking that. spots that mm -hmm. are evocative of that the end of the searchers where it's like the foreground is in shadow and the background is like through a door um in in light there's also a lot of shame with like the i've never seen shame the big the big landscapes okay. I, I kept thinking of it whenever we saw 
Kirsten Dunst character who's always shot very small. Like she's always Mm -hmm. against some big tableau of a landscape or like in a huge room after Mm -hmm. she leaves the, the inn. She just is very dwarfed by everything on the ranch. Yeah. I think I can see a little Red River in it too. Have you ever seen Red River? Red River. I can see the dynamic between Phil and uh, Peter is kind of evocative of uh, John Wayne and Montgomery Clift and Red River mm. a little bit. Well, let's let's name now that we'll need to be doing this episode in a couple chunks um, because this is a great movie. I think it's a great movie. Yeah, I really like super it. well written. However. There's a lot of conversations that verge on spoiler territory. So, yeah, and we don't want people to we want to give people an opportunity to see this movie since yeah. it came out recently. Yeah, and if you if you don't know the story or you know what unfolds towards the end of this movie, then we don't want to spoil that. Go see it and then come back and listen to uh, the end. But we'll do a spoiler free discussion of some of the themes of the movie yeah. first, and then when we and get by to, spoiler free, yeah, we won't talk about the last like thirty minutes, but we will kind of talk about some right. Of, stuff that happens before then right and then we'll give you spoiler warning Mm -hmm. for uh the last chunk but we'll put that at the end of the episode so you can just skip ahead to uh spoiler town we'll have a timestamp. great so let's talk about uh when all of the main characters die (laughs) just kidding um (laughs) well let's talk about uh jane campion first because i think a lot of what makes this movie so interesting is like what you said in your your um intro is that she's always very she always does like female-centric stories and there is a woman at the center of this movie mm-hmm. in the sense that she is sort of a rose played by oh uh kirsten dunst there it is um is sort of a linchpin for the plot mm-hmm. but the movie is not like fully about her if that makes sense like she is not a protagonist in fact she doesn't do too much to move the plot like through her actions well i i might i might disagree with that a little bit because i think Mm. that i think the so the movie has a five act structure Mm -hmm. and as far as i can tell each act is a the there are two characters whose interactions serve as the backbone of that particular act. And mm-hmm. they are the ones that come into the foreground in it. So the first one is Phil and George. Mm-hmm. The second one is Rose and George. And she's actually mm-hmm. important to the way that that section True. moves forward. The third one is Rose and Phil, Phil. Yeah. which that was actually, that that section was the hardest for me to watch. I thought I, I was, we, and we can get into that. Uh, and then the, Fourth section is Rose and Peter. Peter. And then the final section is Peter and Phil. Mm-hmm. So there are sections where Rose becomes yeah. more central to the plot. And there are other sections where she sort of fades into the background because the movie yeah. doesn't really have like a central character. It just has, it has four central characters who you get different permutations of how, what happens when they interact. Yeah. No, that's very true. I think that it's a really interesting way to like see the plot unfold too mm-hmm. because george essentially just leaves yes well that's the thing so th- this movie there's a lot of talk in this movie about um it's commentary on toxic masculinity and uh, masculinity and a lot of it's based around phil as a character mm-hmm. and i think that's correct i think he is a sort of walking embodiment of toxic masculinity over. but i do think and so i guess we can get into why i found part 
or the third section is mm-hmm. so painful. The George is a nice guy, but there's this plot point where he wants Rose to perform uh, in front of the governor on the piano, oh, and she keeps signaling to him that I'm not good, I'm nervous, I don't want to do this, but he, George is so um, enamored with her mm-hmm. that he doesn't hear her, and this basically pushes her to have a breakdown. Yeah, And when George precipitates the breakdown, I think at that point he could have gone one of two ways. He could have been supportive and still in the plot of the movie, but instead he just shuts down. He's like, this isn't the honeymoon phase anymore. My wife is being difficult. And mm-hmm. so he kind of removes himself from the plot. And I think that is, I don't think George is like a bad person, but I do think he still has these like emotional issues that um Mm -hmm. sort of uh play into rose's arc as much as phil does and it's like he is he is very deeply insecure i think as starting out with like his relationship with phil Mm -hmm. just like phil just negs him yeah calls him fat although is like his term of endearment i I don't know if i would say george is insecure actually really or i i think he is maybe sexually kind of Mm -hmm. insecure but my impression of George in that first section is he's kind of embarrassed by Phil because Phil, he comes into the movie as this like parody of masculinity mm-hmm. and he, and you see this, like whenever he talks about Bronco Henry, uh, which yeah. is this uh, Bronco Henry is this guy who taught Phil and George how to ranch. And Phil has this fixation on Bronco, Bronco Henry, even though he died 20 years ago because mm-hmm. um, this movie takes place in the prohibition era in the 20s and um bronco henry died in i think 1904 um and every time uh phil brings it up george kind of looks like are you still talking about this yeah and then there's a scene in the first section where uh phil tells this long rambling story about what a great person bronco henry was and he tamed this horse or something that was untamable. Yeah. And uh, Phil asked George, he's like, you remember that? And Phil and George is like, no. <laughs> Which either means it didn't happen or yeah. George stopped thinking about Bronco Henry. Yeah. Um, and I, I also think part of why I think that George is kind of embarrassed by Phil is George is the person do, like running the business. Running things, yeah. And Phil pretends like he is in charge of things and he's doing like the more noble work when he's just basically a ranch hand he's kind of like interchangeable with all the other ranch hands yeah in fact not really bringing money in at all no they like go out to get all the hides and then he doesn't sell them so he's yeah do you why why doesn't he want to sell them i was confused about that i think it was something related to bronco henry yeah that makes sense i i think we can get into that later. later yeah yeah no, I I see what you're saying, and I I do see the embarrassment, especially in that first scene where we meet Rose and they're having the meal, and he's just a monster, especially he's really to, mean to, uh, to Peter, to Peter, yeah, because Peter he has a he has a lisp, he's, he's, he's very a swishy, awkward, yeah, yeah. But I also get the sense from their dynamic that these these two brothers were like very sheltered growing up they come from a wealthy family who had like moved out here so they're not ranch people they're not even from this part of the country went to yale yeah and he acts like he doesn't know anything and like 
the voice he has is clearly not the voice he grew up with. It's a good it's, point. It's, a, yeah. it's an affectation. It's a, it's because a show. He would sound like his parents and George, but he doesn't. Yeah. And I th- I think I I got the perception that they came out here and like Phil sort of wanted to morph into his different persona. Mm-hmm. Whereas George is like, my parents left me a business. They left me a home to run. He's embarrassed by Phil. I also got the sense that he was a little bit afraid of Phil. And I think mm-hmm. there is sort of this like mommy's boy insecurity in both of them that manifests differently. Whereas George is just much more timid yeah. by the book. Like you said, like sexually very yeah. inexperienced and, and like uncertain of how to even talk with Rose. Yeah. And, and to your point, as far as his insecurity one detail that does support your theory um, is that we find out that even though we find out Phil, I think, graduated from Yale. He graduated from Yale yeah. and George couldn't finish college. Yeah. But he's the one running the business because yes. Phil's. But he probably uh, still feels, I, George probably still feels insecure that he didn't finish college. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also when you're saying in the third act, like him wanting to show off that he has like achieved, like marrying a woman, like building a home and it like wanting to show mommy and daddy that he's a big boy now. And it just yes. collapses and it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And then, so what I liked about the different, the structure of the movie with the different acts, I liked that. Act one, as far as my interpretation of the movie, which this movie is very ambiguous, so you can bring a lot of different interpretations mm-hmm. to it, which I think is like why people are gravitating to it mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I, part one was with George and Phil was kind of about how toxic masculinity is kind of like funny in some ways because yeah, um, he's he's so he's just surrounded by these men and he's being so ridiculous in his parody of like a cowboy Phil is, and you're watching it and you're kind of looking at it through george's eyes and Mm -hmm. you're kind of like yeah this is ridiculous i'm running a (laughs) i'm running a business i'm Uh not like playing like cowboys cowboys. Mm -hmm. and um you are just aware that phil is this is just like a huge put upon thing that he's doing but then the third part which is about phil and rose you realize that it's funny for the male characters that phil acts this way but it's not funny for rose yeah like it's scary like it is Phil is capable potentially of really scary acts it's just probably not going to be carried out against like a man yeah um like rose is a victim here yeah, and so we see and that contrast where at first you're like oh this is funny and he's being ridiculous but then later in the movie you're like oh it depends on who he's around mm-hmm. and when he's around a woman it's actually really scary or an effeminate man or an effeminate man well mm-hmm. but then Peter uh, turns out to be a very complicated character in his own yes. right, and um, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about um, Phil. So it turns out Phil and Bronco, Bronco Henry mm-hmm. might have had like a relationship. What do you? Yeah. So this is not spoiler talk, plot wise. This is yeah. sort of it's hinted at very strongly mm-hmm. throughout the first couple acts. I think it's revealed in the third when peter discovers like his that's, that's the fourth part and it is peter, really. peter discovers bronco henry's nudie mags oh those were bronco henry's it's a one of them said bronco henry in the oh corner. gotcha that um phil had 
taken and hidden. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry, what was your question? I don't. That was that was revelation. Uh, Just whether he. I don't know. I, I I guess there's but there's a question because I think the question of Phil's sexuality. I think we can pretty much say definitively oh, 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 yeah. that he is has a, a homoerotic fixation on Bronco Henry, mm-hmm. and I think the question then is how does that manifest in a, because he clearly is repressing something, mm-hmm. um, and because you know we hear him talk about you know the female hookers that he slept with and talks about women he puts on a front of being very straight yeah um but he is clearly repressing something and i think it comes out in basically wanting to be this parody of masculinity like yeah it, for sure. he's, he's repressed it so much that he doesn't realize how ridiculous he's acting because mm-hmm. he's lost a some he's lost some amount of self-awareness by mm-hmm. repressing these feelings i can see that i also think i i don't think he has just a homoerotic fixation on bronco henry though i think he is like probably gay or at the very least more generally is attracted to men because i think the read that i had on it was this over-the-top like performance that he's putting on um of being a manly cowboy dude um he also is like really close and like strives for approval from all of the other ranch hands Mm -hmm. and i think the show is a lot of like trying to get them close to him Mm -hmm. and then i think in the the first act where i started to pick up on like oh he's like trying to be close with men doesn't know how to do it is like worried about being seen or like noticed or questioned at all it's like he starts to get drunk when they're at the uh in i guess in the town um where Rose and Peter were serving them and everyone else goes off to like party and there's hookers and there's dancing and he leaves and he Mm -hmm. isolates himself. And it's like, Oh, he, my read on that was like, he wanted to put on a show, but then he starts to, I recognize it as like, starts to see himself losing control or like losing inhibitions. And so he retreats and he's like looking for his brother and he's looking for that comfort. Mm -hmm. Um, so also still very they're both very insecure yeah um, and i guess there's there's just this question of so does he affect this cowboy persona because he wants to i i feel like it's that sort of classic question of people who don't have the language to talk about their homosexuality have this confusion mm-hmm. about whether they want to be someone or be with someone mm. and, and <clears throat> I just think that, uh, I, I mean, it's pretty clear that he and Bronco Henry probably um, were intimate with one another. Yes, right? I and think so. so. It's, it's a question of whether he recognizes that as being a intimate relationship or he just thinks it was a, like, men being men sort of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> That's... That's an interesting read. And you also just, you were talking about ambiguity of this movie earlier. And I think in, it's never overtly stated that he had a relationship with Bronco Henry. No. It's definitely hinted at, but like there is a take on this movie where all he did was idolize this man mm-hmm. and kept has kept it secret and never acted on his feelings before. Yeah, it's, it's possible. And in that case, it would be 
he's so deep in the closet that he doesn't right. and, and and that would sort of contribute to the whole thing where he acts ridiculous but doesn't realize that he's acting ridiculous mm-hmm. because he um and you can talk about this in terms of like how his fetishism manifests yeah. itself yeah because he like he doesn't he doesn't bathe <laughs> wacky he once a year once yeah once, like once a, year, a year in the river in he does special do spring house. yeah yeah um he 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 won't go to a doctor classic like weird toxic masculinity yeah. thing um and he makes a point to pick on people like who are less masculine than he is yes and it's sort of like a he doth protest too much sort of thing <laughs> i can see that but i don't think that phil recognizes the way he's acting is very suspicious even though it probably is that's probably true and i think we can talk more let's take a break and then we can talk more about like the things phil is doing and like what he's telling convincing himself of okay about himself so let's keep talking about phil and try to figure out what exactly is going on with him although i don't think we can give a definitive answer because it's just that type of movie yeah which is fine yeah but the so it makes it interesting yeah fully i th- i think the there are a lot of scenes that do hint for me that it is a like he did have a sexual relationship with bronco henry and that's what he's been latching on to i think the scene when he does go to bathe he we actually see him bathe mm-hmm. like when is one time a year I was, i'm just trying to elbow you oh. nudge, nudge, but i couldn't reach you um yeah he we find out that this ritual is like very ritualized of um bathing in this river and he goes total seclusion by himself no one follows him even though he like rides out with his boys mm-hmm. who are all naked somewhere else but he goes and gets naked yes this away is where from we them. see benedict cumberbatch's penis we do we do see it that's all yeah yeah go see this movie it's got everything, it's got everything. <laughs> yeah, the end the end um but he has a handkerchief and he starts to i think it's after he bathes or right before he bathes and he's laying after after um so he's laying on the riverbank it might be actually it might grass. be before and after oh sure because he I'm bathes to, yeah. and then he goes into that hollow and then yeah. he bathes again, and that's when Peter comes upon him. Yeah, because right? he's probably really dirty. So this probably happened a couple times, I guess. Yeah, but anyway, so the handkerchief in question has BH on it, which yeah, means he's probably Bronco Henry's. He starts to touch himself, and then he's like, like playing with the handkerchief on his face. It's very like delicate. But yeah, it's the first hint. We see the initials BH, and we go, ah, Bronco Henry wasn't just... Yeah. Some some dude. And I think the fact that Bronco Henry did have those nudie mags mm-hmm. indicates that he probably shared them with... It, it, yeah. It, it's, pos- it's possible uh, that Phil just found them after Bronco Henry died, but it's also possible that um, Bronco Henry gave them to him. Also ambiguous. Yeah. Also really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but the these n- nudie mags in question are in like this little hollow mm-hmm. in a tree. And one of the like pivot points for the plot in mm-hmm. this movie is when Peter, Rose's son, um, who is visiting from med school, mm-hmm. um, follows him out to his bathing spot 
and comes upon the hollow before he sees him he finds these magazines mm-hmm. sees his horse and then sees him um she doesn't see him masturbating but he sees him in the like coming out of the water mm-hmm. and gets chased away mm-hmm. um so his secret has finally been phil's secret has finally been discovered yeah by someone and it seems like this is the first person who's ever known about this i think george might oh interesting i i, I honestly do think that george might he it, it, again it's ambiguous we don't know but it's possible that george knows and that's part of his embarrassment it's like my brother obviously uh-huh. has this erotic fixation on bronco henry uh-huh. and he's being really obvious about it but he doesn't realize that mm-hmm. and we should be just shut up about him yeah um especially bronco henry what a ridiculous name <laughs> like, i know it is so and every time uh, phil says it I, i'm just like oh my god you do not realize how stupid you sound right and it, it pretty much everything bronco henry has touched has become an object of erotic fixation for phil yes. he has a his saddle, his saddle in the barn with a the plaque, plaque. <laughs> that says in loving memory of bronco henry and he'll like there are these close-up shots of him I, I, what's mm-hmm. that thing that like nub at the top of the saddle i forget what it's called but you see no, i say bridle that's not it no but you see phil just lovingly stroking that thing yeah. and he like keeps it oiled and clean mm-hmm. and <clears throat> oh boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah if that's not if that's not overt yeah i don't know and it, it's but, yeah. it, that's the thing it's so overt to the audience and the question is just how overt is it in phil's mind or in george's mind it clearly rose does not understand what's going on she thinks that no. he's just this dangerous straight person who's a danger to women and a feminine man which is true and, except that he's not straight right and <laughs> he, a he danger just, to her son i think is what she perceived first yes um so do you want to talk about yeah let's uh, talk about rose and phil or no rose and peter and peter her son yeah, or all three. We haven't really talked about them yet. Yeah. Well, I talked about Rose. I, I think what you just said, um, as like Rose being afraid of him, is why I said earlier, like, that is her whole purpose. I think her actions don't have as much to do driving the story forward as much as like men acting towards her and her mm-hmm. just like being afraid, retreating. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an alcoholic. I guess her um, former well, husband... George kind of drives her to alcoholism. Well, see, I think she was probably already an alcoholic because her husband so. committed suicide. Yes. And... She's a suicide widow. She is a suicide there. widow. God. And... Yeah, I, I... That is... Yeah, but George at the party probably drove her to, like, start doing it. George and Phil. Again. And then Phil is just terrifying. Phil comes in and twists the knife, and that's when she starts mm. drinking again. So maybe she stopped drinking after her husband died or something, but then... Potentially, because she has this nice... Her and her son have a really, like, sweet dynamic. You can tell they're really close Mm -hmm. by shared trauma or just she seems like mama bear to him. And I think, like we said, recognizes that he is different. Yeah. And And she's she's accepting of him. Yes. She does love him a lot. Possibly too accepting. Like, I I didn't... the, The relationship between them sort of took on a stronger Oedipal feeling as the movie went on. And especially there's that mm-hmm. one scene in the third part where, or I guess it's the, the, the fourth part. Yeah. Where Rose is drunk and she's talking to Peter about like 
does he have any women in his life? Mm -hmm. And she implies that she thinks Peter is afraid of women. Mm -hmm. And I think she kind of comes onto him in that scene. Where she like wants him to lay down next to her. Yeah. Or like hold her while she's in bed. I think so. I, I didn't read it that way. I think it was more of like she is so starved for any love. And she's not getting it from George. She's being like hated mm-hmm. by Phil. And then her son finally comes back and she's approaching rock bottom and just needs to latch on to something. Mm-hmm. Again, ambiguity. Ambiguity. So many ways to read this, but that's 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 very true. And um, the, the movie opens with that line. It's a... Before oh, we yeah, even yeah, get yeah. A, a visual in the movie, there's a, a black screen and it's Peter talking and he says something about needing to protect his mother it's very it's a very mm-hmm. norman bates thing it's like a voice yes, it is. his mother yes uh that would have been a great quote yeah voice <laughs> um but yeah i mean I, I personally i my takeaway from it is that he does have sort of he is sort of attracted not attracted to his mother in like the literal sense but he peter is Rose. like so protect yeah he's yeah. so protective of his mother it's like a fixation that everything else sort of is not important to him i I think i think that makes sense i think the point that they drive home is that he feels abandoned by his dad and so Mm -hmm. hurt from that that and this town that they live in is so isolated and you get the sense that rose does not connect with like the other people in the town that are close to her age that could be friends like the only part of the reason she doesn't connect with them is because they're drinking and she doesn't and she says she doesn't drink which makes me think that she didn't drink beforehand oh i would read that as she has stopped drinking because she okay did before okay but either way yeah when we meet her in the movie she doesn't seem she's to be drinking that's that's very uh-huh. true and alcohol is illegal at this point because it's 1925 it's a good point that's why she's so 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 maybe she's just mad that it. they brought alcohol into her um restaurant mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she could get in trouble for that so maybe mm-hmm. that's why she's mad no that's very that's uh very true but um, I, I really, I was really, really drawn to Rose's character. And I think it's one of the like most nuanced performances in the movie. Kristen Stewart. Yeah, course, Kristen Stewart. As, um, Princess Di mm-hmm. in this movie. But she, she plays that like really delicate balance of protective mother and like fearful fearful of her Mm brother-in-law but also trying to do right by her new husband and just there's this scrappiness to her like at least in the first couple acts Mm -hmm. or not the first but after we meet her towards before the fourth act that she's just trying to do right by herself and her son and make Mm -hmm. sure that there's some future for them um and she's it's so tragic when like it all starts to go wrong especially with the piano yeah yeah i mean and phil thinks she's a social climber which i'm pretty sure we can definitively say that she is not a social climber because the 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 scene with the piano she uh the governor because uh george is very well connected obviously Mm -hmm. they come from money the governor and george and phil's parents come over and if rose were actually a social climber she probably would have interacted with them a lot more and been a lot more comfortable Mm -hmm. and been talking to the mayor but she is she's terrified in that scene it's so hard to watch because you know that again i had a hard time 
like separating like george seemed like such a villain to me in this movie because of that one scene and i had to remember that he's actually he's he's more complicated than that he's not a bad person he was just kind of blinded by his yeah he was an idiot um but just he keeps saying like oh you're so good at the piano you can play for the government she's like no i just played for the cinemas i don't i'm out of practice please i yeah. don't feel comfortable with this he's like he brings no, in I'll a get, I'll grand get, piano he buys her a grand piano and she's like no stop this is hurting me so much and then the scene where she sits down to play the piano yeah. and just cannot get through like I know, the same man. four oh, bars so of music awful. and then you hear this like like horror movie sound like coming from upstairs yeah of just um it's phil on his banjo yeah with a lot like, of like creaky boards it's like, and, she's, and she's like we're, we're seeing her from behind or like mm-hmm. from the top of the stairs and like this dark room mm-hmm. and just like deliverance music starts playing over her and yeah. he's just like trying to scare her and mm-hmm. he does it gets it he gets into her head yeah and you're you're in uh rose's head in that part like mm-hmm. you are placed within her perspective where it is scary because this weird dirty psycho is just lording over her and yeah. she doesn't know what he might do right um but he's already signaled like as soon as when he meets rose for the first time as george's wife he's just like i don't like you you're a social climber yeah and just shuts her down and won't talk to her such an awkward mm-hmm. introduction like mm-hmm. she's coming home mo- moving in peter is at school so he's not with her mm-hmm but he just sits. He sits in his chair and he's. He, he was reading a book. He's reading the paper. Reading yeah. the paper. He didn't won't even like won't even acknowledge her. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Yeah. Oh, another another weird toxic masculinity thing in this movie. He he like doesn't like complaining about the weather and so <laughs> yeah. like I, th- I think it's gay to make a fire. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> if my house is cold, I'm gonna be cold. <laughs> Jeez so weird yeah um this also also throughout the third act i think this is where jane campion really like shined as a director oh really shined as a director Mm -hmm. like i i said it before but like kirsten dunce as rose feels so small Mm -hmm. in this huge foreboding house and um this is this is also i i related to this about the placement of a piano in a room this is a, like I don't know if she did this on purpose, if Jane did this on purpose and staging it, but it's placed in a way where it's like she is seated with her back completely to the room, mm. which like a is not where you would put a piano mm-hmm. in a room because you would That's want to be able to see the player. Yeah, but it's also like at a she is now sitting at a place where she's like so vulnerable to everything else that's in the house and she can't see like anyone could sneak up on her yeah anyone can come up from behind her it's like no one's going to because it's not that movie but that's why the like creakiness from upstairs feels so unsettling Mm -hmm. it's like you don't know what's behind you or where it's coming from yeah and she's like totally alone in this giant house the the staff that work in the kitchen won't like won't even engage in conversation with her when Mm -hmm. she goes in to wash a dish Mm -hmm. she was she was really great yeah and that's, that's a nice, that, that was a nice contrast too with the first part where she was like, she was washing dishes in the first part, and mm-hmm. that was her, her life. Role. Yeah, but now she is 
in a place where she can't access that old part of herself or mm-hmm. really fit in in this new house. And finally, there's the point where she finds a way to contribute something because once she starts drinking, she's just in bed all the time, mm-hmm. sneaking drinks, like hiding bottles. And everyone everyone is painfully aware that she's drunk all the time. Yeah, but no one's going to do anything. Then there's the hides, like we mentioned earlier, that Phil has put out. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, yeah. Um, the Native Americans come by mm-hmm. and want to buy them. But that Phil wants to burn them Phil for wants to reason. burn them. It's, again, some weird, like, ritual, mm-hmm. which is why I assumed it had something to do with Bronco Henry. Yeah, it was probably like they... I don't know, Bronco Henry they burnt them after and Phil just After they it. had sex on them or something. Yeah, like that. <laughs> something like that. Um... But she says, no, 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 just take them. Yeah. Please, please take them. So she's, she's, she gets these very nice gloves in return. Yes. And she like, but she's like drunk in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You just see this like desperation on her face. Like, oh, this is a, a good deed that I can like actually do for someone. Mm-hmm. And then of course you're like, no, don't do it. He's, <laughs> Phil's going to be horrible to you. He's not yeah. going to like this. But she runs off and she gets those gloves and then passes out drunk on her way back yep. to the house. So she she tried she tried she tried really hard yeah and she yeah she's she's a very interesting character and that's kind of what Jane Campion is she's I I said this sort of you know facetiously in that intro but or in that summary she is a an auteur of female subjectivity Mm -hmm. her like a lot of her movies like the piano and sweetie and angel at my table bright star they are about women's experiences mm-hmm. and they are extremely dynamic and complex and yep. hard to pin down and interesting to watch mm-hmm. there's not i almost said there's no sex there is sex mm-hmm. but it's not like graphic it's not at the focus of mm-hmm. those scenes in a way that i'm thinking of in the cut or i mean god the piano mm-hmm. not chase Mm-mm. um yeah, it's interesting that she spent, it was a lot more, seemed cerebral, like very interior for these characters than... Yeah, because it's more, I, it, like, you, you talk about something like the piano, and there are repressed characters, but there are also characters who are very sexual. Yes. I think all the characters in this movie have a rep- repressed thing going on. Like, Phil is repressing mm-hmm. his homosexuality, George is trying to compensate for what an ineffectual loser he thinks he is, even though he's running this company that's extremely wealthy and he's like friends with the governor and all that stuff. And uh, Rose is trying to like repress these feelings about being just terrified and with her choices like, in life. Trauma of being a suicide widow. Yeah. And uh, I guess Peter's trying to repress, mo- I... wanting to suck on some mommy titties. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> I, he's also like, the first time we see him and he's serving he's serving wine to the group of ranch mm-hmm. hands that comes through and he has well no the first time we see him he's making those really delicate paper flowers mm. and he's being really like fastidious about them and he yeah. he's very he's a very methodical them. person um and he is serving them wine and he does the little butler towel draped over his arm to serve the wine and he says it's just says why are you doing it or phil says why are you doing that boy he's like it's just for the drips for the wine drips mm-hmm. and i don't know I, I i get the sense that he's maybe i just am relating to like repressing mm-hmm. femininity 
in you that I got the sense that he's like accustomed to repression. Like he, when he gets frustrated or upset, he starts to cry right away when like Phil's being mean to him, or which like would have made me He also cry. has a, a tick. He has a tick. Um, and which is when he gets nervous, he'll run his thumb along a comb. The comb. So there's like that tactile thing. He also, when he got upset after the first dinner, he goes outside to hula hoop. Oh yeah, I forgot about funny. that. It was like, oh, okay. He And he, he is he is he, like he must be like 20, 21 or something like that. Right? Yeah, he seems young. Yeah. Cause it, it seemed like I didn't catch that they were mother son at first. I thought it might have been older sister, little brother. Mm-hmm. Because she she couldn't have been that old when she had him. No. And the, I that also contributes but, to the idea that he has an edible complex because his, yeah. if they have more of a brother sister relationship, which he calls her Rose. Mm-hmm. He doesn't call her mom. It's true. And so there's some confusion about the boundaries in their relationship. Hmm. But like, <sighs> actually, let's go to, how do we go to break? Okay. And then we get into how my theory about this Oedipus complex feeds into the end of the movie. Great. So okay. we'll get into a spoiler. We're going talk. to spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. <laughs> we don't have a we don't have a soundboard so we don't have a siren sound effect i yet. know yeah <laughs> we need to start investing in that probably put we can probably write it off as a, a business expense right i'll talk to my accountant <laughs> <laughs> i can't speak to that uh so this is basically a discussion of part five of the movie the last part which is yeah. also the longest part i think it's like 40 minutes um and it explores the dynamic between Phil and Peter. It, that's the central dynamic that's driving the plot of this section. Mm-hmm. And it begins with Phil starting to, somewhat inexplicably, unless you have an interpretation for this, somewhat inexplicably wanting to take Peter under his wing. And I, the best I can so, come up with is he has like, he either recognized either Phil used to be a, a little mincing Peter character and yep. Bronco Henry straightened him out. Yep. Or what was my other theory? Or he thinks that there was there was a second where I was like, does he think that Peter is the reincarnation of Bronco Henry? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that might be going a little too far. It's a little but there, far. There, but... there was a there was a part where he got on this well, no, he he like got on the saddle and Phil gave him a look like, oh, this looks like Bronco Henry. Uh-huh. And he also was able to see um there's this like test that this way phil tests the other ranch hands and says there's something in the mountains that only mm, like you mm-hmm. can only see if you can see and it turns out to be a shadow that looks like a dog yeah and it's the title hence the title which is also a reference to a bible verse i guess yeah. and phil does this test with peter and right away peter says like yeah. not that all the ranchers are like we can't see it what are you saying like yeah, this is an he's, animal he's like always going out to just stare into the distance by himself which is ridiculous mountains. it's it, like when you think about it it's like gay yeah it, it's Pine, like this stupid urine. guy who thinks it's like really cool to just like look at the hills like that <laughs> he he is clearly super aware of how he thinks people are looking at him yes um, and so he does this test with Peter and he's mm-hmm. like, Do you see anything in the hills? And Peter's right away says, I see a dog. Yeah, see a and dog. that kind of blows Phil's mind. Yeah. I also didn't see it until Peter said it. Oh, I didn't see it either. Was it did, was it but that's because there? I'm not a I don't I'm not a repressed person. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um no, I I 
think your first read is correct that he sees himself in yeah. Peter in some he, way. He was a nerd. He, he, right, he, went, again, to he went to Yale. And but he's like, I, I can show you how to be this macho man. The way I know how to do that is through like this potentially sexual relationship like Bronco had with me. And that's where it starts to yes. become like more than just taking under his wing. You start to get the sense that there's desire for Peter. Mm-hmm. Um but as it turns out, there is also like that may have been a machination of Peter the whole time. Yeah. So this so is where do Peter you gets... explain the plot of the last sure of the movie sure so sort of picking up where phil has been terrorizing rose and rose has been driven back into alcoholism Mm -hmm. peter arrives back at the ranch and sees his mother despondent bedridden his sister mommy his sister mommy god (laughs) um and everything that we talked about just sort of hits him that he's like really protective of her pick your reason um he essentially his friend is his mother that's right that's right dog power of the dog mm-hmm. um i don't know what I said that. <laughs> um he begins this long plot that we don't find out what his purpose was but it turns out it is revenge on phil yes and he gets his revenge by um getting phil sick essentially like uh I say poisoning him, but it's not poisoning him. He's he does poison him. He's like he so at one point in the movie he goes out into the hills and he uh takes the hide, the hide. Off a diseased cow. Mm-hmm. Which at the time, so we've seen throughout the movie that uh Peter is actually pretty dispassionate towards life. It's not like he doesn't care about life. The rabbit. But and... he um like he cl- clearly cares about his mom. He clearly cares about animals, but like he cares about animals insofar. It's scientific. It, like, it's it, it's yeah. scientific. He he doesn't have any compunctions about killing animals for scientific purposes, mm-hmm. but he he'll kill them humanely, which is honestly saying something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and so uh, he. It has also been established that cows are dying of anthrax. anthrax yeah. Um, which but is I didn't really put I didn't really put two and two together until the end I, I, until the very end because you're just like oh he's a weird kid he's probably taking samples or something because it had sort of escalated yeah. it's like oh he is like playing with flowers and yes. oh now it's a rabbit it's yes. like oh now it's a cow he's yeah. just like exploring nature but yes. as it turns out he has taken a sick cow's hide yes given it to Phil to finish a rope he's working on to make a rope and in one of the last scenes. Phil is like handling this rope. Mm-hmm. He soon and he has a cut on his. He hand, has a so. cut on his hand. Also established. Oh, this yeah. movie is so smart. Yeah. Um, and then Phil ends up. Phil ends up dying. Yes. Which another another ambiguous thing is like when, or like how much of this was Peter planning out everything, mm-hmm. or how much of it was him getting things in order so that when the moment, the correct moment happened, he could strike. Yeah. Because it's not it's not totally clear how much of this was planned out to happen the way it it happened i so because if, if rose hadn't sold those hides he wouldn't he have would, the gloves he he wouldn't have needed phil would not have needed um the oh, hide that um that peter had but there was no possible way that peter could have known that rose was going to sell those hides that's true he also was wearing the gloves right mm-hmm. so that he wouldn't have to touch the hide mm-hmm. um that's a good point I also, I like the read, though, that there was sort of this, 
So that happens in the fourth act. And the third act is, oh, no, no, no. The, the fourth act is where he discovers the secret, right? Discovers Phil's secret. Yes. That was in the fourth, not the mm -hmm. third. Yeah. Either way, that was before the hides, before Rose is doing that with the hides. So yes. I think from that point, I got the sense that like, um, Peter is very like methodical. Mm -hmm. He's, he's a conniving. He's, like, he's, he's a, a doctor. Mind. And he sees a way to have leverage over Phil very early. And I get the sense that from that point, there's a shift in Peter, mm -hmm. just like he starts not repressing like his more feminine side. Mm -hmm. He wears those jeans out in front of the ranch hands and they all like mm -hmm. cat call him, but he goes right by Phil. Oh, you're right. And Phil is think hooked. Yeah. And he, oh, so maybe that's he walks the reason why Phil right calls up him to Phil. Finally. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it's just that Peter is starting to like tempt him. I, I got the sense that it was a little bit of that so that he's like building this relationship by getting in his head. Yeah. And then I think what you said is true. So that when there is the moment, he has this like perfect in, which mm -hmm. is he's he can be he knows how to get intimate with this man. Mm -hmm. Which is why I also think Peter I, I mean Phil, we've discussed the like queerness of his character. Mm -hmm. The queerness of Peter is also a really interesting yeah. aspect of this movie. Or so I, potentially so not. I would personally say my interpretation of the movie is that he's not queer and that mm -hmm. the twist in the movie is that Phil mistakes femininity for queerness mm -hmm. and conflates the two and it's his downfall because mm -hmm. he thinks that if you are effeminate that you're gay which is not true and so he takes peter coming on to him as face at face value um and peter's able to use that to his advantage mm -hmm. and if phil had a more nuanced idea of the spectrum of femininity and masculinity right he wouldn't be so caught off guard by all these things that peter is doing right which makes because i because honestly in my mind peter just wants to sleep with just <laughs> no not i guess that's Metafor I, metaphorically I, but right but also i think maybe literally because he does get in bed with her he does get in bed with her but i think rose is just this fixation and whether it's you know a weird sublimated eroticism is kind of up for question but um i think mm -hmm. peter is more focused on Rose than anything else. Agreed. Yeah. I I totally understand that, but also for some reason I'm latching on to that detail that is Rose asking Peter when he first gets back from school, mm -hmm. like, have you been making friends? And he says he has this one friend, he calls him professor, and his friend calls him doctor. He's like, oh, that's kind of cute. He's yeah. like, oh, but that's kind of gay. Yeah. And so I... I I, I got a little bit of the, uh, he went to the city and now he's gay vibe from that. <laughs> but that she, Rose recognized that and mm -hmm. was like, okay, you you do you. He sounds great. Mm -hmm. Glad you have that friend. But then so, when she's drunk later, she asks him if there's like a woman in his life. But again, ambiguous. Yeah. But I think, I think then there's sort of like this recognition in Peter that his sexuality, potentially like just fluidity. Mm-hmm is like can be a weapon which i think mm -hmm. is is really cool it's yeah. like his sissiness is how he undermines phil mm -hmm. and ends up getting his revenge yeah i mean we're not going to do a mini episode on peter but like when we talk about a, when we do a wrap-up we can talk about peter because he is a, a very interesting sissy character mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Also, I I don't want to be mean to Cody Smith McPhee, but he is such a him and Benedict Cumberbatch though are just such strange looking gentlemen. Well, actually, no, I I, I think you're onto something with this because they look similar. They do look similar. They have this weird and, alien look to both of them. Well, and now this is um, my husband who read the book, and probably other people who have read the book have said that this really closely aligns with the description of these characters in the book that their eyes are like far apart Mm -hmm. and like they have like sunken sort of hollow faces and narrow faces he's very like aquiline and cody smith McPhee is like they look like they could be really and then there's like that that scene where they finally i got that sense that cody smith McPhee was like tantalizing and like trying to seduce phil Mm -hmm. i say cody peter's trying to seduce phil and there's like that rubbing of the of the rope and it's like mm-hmm. very slick is that the same like scene where he lights a cigarette lights puts a it cigarette and puts like, it in phil's ooh, mouth no yeah. that's a that's a sexy move yeah yeah but it, it, it's it's distracting phil from his work which is the thing that's killing him mm-hmm. how did he get the cut on his hand they were oh the, the, the wood pile. yeah again there was no way he um peter could have planned that they he just got a splinter from a log that they were throwing around so he must have, yeah. to some degree, he must have been, had a plan, but he was on the fly trying to get it to, or find opportunities to implement it. I like that read, because yeah. he's, it just makes me think that he's, like, become so aware of himself, mm-hmm. and in a way that I don't think I got the sense that he was in the beginning, Yeah, that it's now, like, the way that he gets to fill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, really you cool. really don't know what happened until, like, the last shot of the movie. Yes. And yes. actually, in the last shot, really so cool. going back to my issue with how I had trouble seeing past George as a... Seeing past his bad qualities. Mm-hmm. Just because, again, that, that piano scene where he wanted Rose to play and she didn't want to is just... I viscerally felt that more than anything like, in the movie. It's like Scott's Tots. What's that? That episode of The Office where Michael oh, promises the college tuition to a group of kids if they graduate. I haven't I, seen that. I'm sure that's a good reference. Though. Thank you. Yeah. Listeners, chime in. Um, but the the end shows that Rose and George might actually be mending their relationship, which mm-hmm. in, initially, as soon as I saw that, I was like, no, George is the real villain of this movie. How dare he make her play the piano? But then I was like, okay, no, that's actually... George is not that bad a person, and maybe with yeah. Phil out of the way, he'll yeah. be better. And we've seen, like, in the second part of the movie that's focusing on Rose and George, he actually is a very sensitive person. He cries in front of her, mm-hmm. and that was very endearing. Mm-hmm. And But he's just, I mean, he's just got issues. Like everyone else in this movie, they've got issues Such because of the bad world that they live in. Plus, I, I do think it's because they're just so overshadowed by Phil. Like mm-hmm. every, he just steamrolls everyone in mm-hmm. his life with his personality and the performance that he's putting on. Like, there's no room for George. Yeah. Like, there's... Because he's so, always on. That's the thing. It, it's yeah. clearly an act, and he's always on. And so he has to, Even you know, at, like, draw attention to himself. Yeah. At night, by himself, yeah. sitting in a room. Yeah, like, if he feels like... It, it, rather than fade into the background at the dinner party, he's going to be in the barn and make george come out and try to get him to come in mm-hmm. and he, everyone's going to be talking about like oh where's phil where's uh-huh. phil and it's like he's and such a diva a, he's such a diva yeah. yeah phil's a diva he's a queen drama queen um yeah so the the very like last moments of this movie just put it all together in a really fun twist 
Mm-hmm. This was a great movie. Yeah, I really liked this. This is a. Uh, I think Gene, I, I I I like Jane Campion a lot. I actually I think I, hmm. I did like a little crash course on a bunch of her movies this past week, and I think she's a really interesting director. Um, I still haven't seen a bunch of her movies, but she mm-hmm. actually hasn't released that many. I I feel like this was far and away the best film i've seen from jane campion mm-hmm. in the cut i thought was good meg ryan and mark ruffalo um but i i thought um portrait of a lady was actively not a good movie yeah and i've never seen it i would probably go back and watch the piano again maybe with you so you can talk me down from mm-hmm. being mad at anna paquin constantly i'm mad just thinking about it now i need to get off it yeah um but yeah, knowing how she like gets into the mind of Rose so well in this, I wonder if I can take some of the same, the same attitude towards this movie and bring it to her other work, because I think this was superbly directed and was beautiful. Yeah. She got great performances out of every actor in this movie, at least the four central ones. Yes. Um, yeah, it was well done. I would I would not be shocked if this wins best picture. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's a, a good, it's deserving. I think it's a really good gay movie because it is, I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of its greatness comes from these ambiguities because I mean, you see this in her other movies, like sexuality is this very confusing, ambiguous thing. And it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to pin down it to one thing and mm-hmm. what you're attracted to is kind of almost arbitrary yeah. um, in a way. Uh, and I think that it makes it, I mean, obviously we had a really fun time talking about it. It makes yeah. it an interesting movie to talk about. Yeah, fully. And I think she also is saying really interesting things about what it means to, like you are saying, what it means to be feminine mm-hmm. versus masculine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also now thinking of the piano where like, Holly Hunter is not overly feminine as mm-hmm. a character, but is very sexual. Yeah. Like, Although she, it's interesting because the movie, we initially think she's kind of sexless, but it turns out not yeah. to be true at all. Well, <laughs> well, not even close. No. So this one, this one's interesting where like, what does it mean to be masculine where does fragile masculinity stem from and then different ways that repressed people lash out against people around them yeah because it turns out repressed repressed homosexuality and toxic masculinity turn out to be the thing that kills phil oh i thought you were gonna say it's the thing that binds all of us together no no (laughs) (laughs) some of us the moral of a story um so yeah this is a this is a great queer movie could not say this earlier because don't want to give everything away. Mm-hmm. It's, I think even like saying that this is a gay movie and doing it in our podcast is giving a little bit away. Mm-hmm. But, but I think that said, so I watched this movie twice. Yeah. And I, I Shut think, off. I think it, well, it, whatever, <laughs> but I think it actually, I enjoyed it more on the second watch Yeah, and I, was able to sort of think a little more deeply about the themes of the movie and mm-hmm. the structure and what it was doing because it's, it's not a movie that's very open about what it's doing. And so the first mm-hmm. time you watch it, you're really kind of like hyper-focused on the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard to pick up on things like theme and performance even sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, I would recommend if you watch the movie and it doesn't click with you the first time, cause it didn't totally click with me the first time, although mm-hmm. I did really, especially the last half hour i was like this is actually really fantastic yeah um but watching it it's worth a rewatch mm-hmm. and i don't think it's, I, I, I don't think it's bad to 
have a movie that requires a rewatch to fully get it. I it, because personally, when I watch movies over and over again, I start to really like think more deeply yeah. about them because it's hard to get everything out of. Yeah, you pull new things out yeah. every time. It's like I watch Memoirs of a Geisha <laughs> once a month and yeah. just cry at a new part every single time. Yeah, that's not true. It's like once every two months. Anyway, this movie's got it all. It does. It's got um. No, that's that's a that's an outro bit. Oh, we're not in the outro. No, we're not in the outro. We're doing we're doing a mini series next. Oh yeah, we're gonna go to a, we're gonna go to commercial. And Let's take a series. break. <laughs> okay, it is time to continue our mini series on our favorite cinematic sissies, and mm-hmm. today we will be talking about Scott Donlin from the Christopher Guest film Best in Show, yes. which. You showed this to me the first time. I, I never, I, I'd never seen a Christopher Guest movie, and I, I love this movie so much. I know you so 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 much. I really like it too. We were just saying that we're going to have to make a conscious effort not to just talk about how funny Parker Posey is in this movie because we're not talking about her today. No, but I did. But we love her. I did cry laughing having rewatching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> just her looking dead eyed into the camera. There was something Those about braces. It with the braces and that <laughs> awful bob haircut with the bangs <laughs> and it's just so <laughs> but we're not gonna we're, so not gonna we're not gonna focus on that Ham- hamilton and um hamilton and uh i forget i forget her Margaret, name maybe. something Swan. like that yeah. but uh scott donlin uh, is a character this this is a movie that's like a mockumentary about people who show dogs and dog shows yes yes and he's uh it's he's played by uh john michael higgins is the actor who's i'm guessing not i'm guessing he's straight right i think so i think so he plays a lot of effeminate characters though remember when we watched fired up he was the cheer coach he was in that yeah oh we're gonna need to talk about fired up at some point i know i can't wait yeah i can't wait um no i I do i do think he's straight okay straight in the other christopher guest movies okay um but he he and his um partner michael mckean is that's the actor oh the actor yeah yeah um he and Michael McKean show a Shih Tzu. Yes. And he plays this um, over-the-top character who's, like, always wearing something showy. He's, his fashion reminded his, me a lot of... It was very, like, Fifth Element-esque. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if, if, if you're looking for, like, a reference to what he dresses like, he dresses like someone from the Fifth Element. Like, the lure. It's very costumey. Yeah, some, like, clashing patterns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tinted glasses boots with heels yeah stupid frosted tips yep frosted tips <laughs> this giant faux fur coat yeah it's... and his his final run not runway it's not a runway i mean he thinks it's a runway it's basically a runway the world, the world is a runway to scott Donlin. Um, is that like blue like crushed velvet like looks like a yes like with the buttons like he's from beauty and the beast or something yeah it's he's wearing pretty so much eyeliner interesting it's great <laughs> um i i just love this character a because this was like formative comedy for me growing up this came out in 2000 um so naturally i memorized the whole movie and would just quote it at my family yeah because you, you were four at the time yes mm-hmm. <laughs> that is correct. three yeah. i was a, i was an old three yeah, okay yeah <laughs> um that was that was a lie okay for anyone who's actually <laughs> for, questioning for, the, that. for the denser people in our audience <laughs> um but he's he's a really fun character 
who is, I, I was going to say, is like a sissy who is comic relief, but they are all comic relief because everyone is ridiculous yeah, and over the top. There's no person who's not comic relief in this um, movie. <laughs> but he plays really well off of all of the other characters, especially with Michael McKean. It makes him just so much fun. Yeah, because he's more, he's very in your face with gay jokes. He makes yeah. a lot of very obvious dick jokes yes. and sex jokes and stuff like the, that. The um, the membranes, I don't want to pull I'll those things I'll take care off. of the membranes, don't I mean, worry about it. Randy, you could pull the membrane off. Will you stop it? And his husband's a little more reserved mm-hmm. and but he's still a little fussy. He's he's, he's, fu- he's prim. You know who they reminded me of? That couple from the first season of Instant Hotel. <gasps> fussy couple. The fussy couple. Which I don't know if people have heard of the show. It's an Australian reality show Trying about um, two. It's about people competing to see who has the best Airbnb, and there's this one gay couple, and they are awful and bitchy and fussy and oh just one of them is brenton leroy brenton leroy yeah (laughs) and the thing that made me think about it was because the cup the couple on instant hotel they bring their own uh they bring their own pillowcases oh yeah and (laughs) and they they do too when they go to the show they bring their own pillows they bring their own tapestry to hang and they're basically just brenton leroy how many how many kimonos do i need to pack i have you you've already packed six kimonos that's all right so here's seven we're in Philadelphia for 48 hours. So that's seven. So I need, actually, I need I mean, how many more. tea services eight. can you do? The first, yeah, the first thing they do is they start nailing a, a tapestry above the bed. Yeah. <laughs> in the hotel. Uh, I have so much fun with this movie. All I can do is start saying some of my favorite lines. Yeah, just <laughs> go, go for it. Just <laughs> What's the, uh, the bratwurst and shillelaghs? <laughs> Paging Dr. Freud. <laughs> What are you? What are you from? Nor? What are you? Nor? Norland? <laughs> <laughs> he walks in the hotel. You can't see what I'm doing, but I'm doing a good impression. Oh God! Oh, and it's oh, not God. going well. It's not going. Well. <laughs> he like leans up against the counter of the hotel and looks back at the guy. He's yeah. like, What are you six four? Yeah. Ed, Ed, Ed Bagley Junior. <laughs> is that who? It is? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the fact that they have a Shih Tzu. Yeah. Of all the dogs. Yeah, and Scott's just a he's just a force of nature. Like no one can That's tell great. no one can tell him what to do, what to say. Mm-hmm. He he hand stitch the flame patterns on his leather pants. Oh yeah, those things are so ugly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it took me it took me a year. Yeah, that's kind of sad. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um there's really not too much to say about him in the context of the movie as like sissy interplaying with other non-sissies because that's not the point of the movie it's not trying to say anything i think if we talked about other christopher guest movies which we probably will i have there's some there are some problematic gay characters oh really for sure i think this one i could maybe seen i if someone tried to argue that scott is a problematic gay yeah. character i'd guess i'd be sympathetic to that but yeah i don't think <laughs> I, I don't know if I would agree with that necessarily, though. I think he's fun. He's fun. He just, like, he, he is about as ridiculous as any other character in the movie. If anything, he's, like, not the most ridiculous character no. in the movie, I would say. When you put him up next to the swans. Yeah, and or, like, um, Jane Lynch. Yeah, and Jennifer Coolidge's character. We both like soup. We like uh, <laughs> snow peas. <laughs> Talking and not talking. <laughs> we could not talk or talk for hours. 
and still find things to not talk about. Yeah. <laughs> no, if I, I forget if it's Mighty Wind, I forget if it's Mighty Wind or if it's Waiting for Guffman when Christopher Guest himself is playing mm-hmm. a queer character that just oof. Yeah, I mean, did we're not age well. We've talked about this. We're definitely going to do a mini series at some point about just like problematic gay characters and we'll come back to that one um did you want to talk more about how much you love parker posey since it won't come up again probably i don't know just she is something about her performance her on them on the couch being interviewed Mm -hmm. was a lot of that was improv like a lot of scenes are improv in those movies i I was crying (laughs) that was just the two of them he's like just talk at the camera about your relationship like how you met but they're so good at accessing the yeah. sort of vapidness of that mm-hmm. relationship and how they can't connect emotionally with one another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we met at we met at Starbucks. Yeah. Well, not, not the same not Starbucks. Starbucks but different, <laughs> different Starbucks across the street. Oh God. Okay, this is just going to turn into. I love this, this movie. movie. <laughs> uh, we'll. I don't know. We'll just post clips online or something to try to. We have to. <laughs> yeah, we have to. Um, but. That's Best in Show, uh, mm-hmm. Scott Donlin. Yes. Um, he's a really fun sissy. Fun he sissy. is just kind of a ridiculous person among equals in this movie because everyone's yes. ridiculous. Um, kind of like kind of like Beef, actually. I would say it, it, it's like he fits into the... Or like it, as far as... They're, like the, matching the level of the other characters. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's like he, Beef is not supposed to be ridiculous to contrast with other people's normalcy. He Oh, right. He's as ridiculous as everyone else, and that's, like, the point of the movie. Everything so, is camp. Yeah, so it, it's, like, potentially more problematic if a sissy character is only there to serve the function of, like, showing what wrong masculinity is. But no, Which is, like, Ruby Rod. Where yeah, kind of like You Ruby can have Rod. arguments against that being a good character. Yeah. No, no but, this one's just fun. Yeah. He's just fun. There's no one who's, like, superior to anyone else in this movie. They're all just <laughs> huge messes. <laughs> <laughs> so great if you haven't seen best in show yeah recommend immediately <laughs> immediately um anyway yeah let's take a break and then we will we'll finish up rhapsody has two mommies so that wraps up our discussion of power of the dog and fantastic yeah really I, good movie yeah deserves i i do not think it's being overblown with like how much praise it's getting yeah this um, movie's uh it's got everything it's got everything anthrax cows mommy titties <laughs> God. <laughs> um wet leather straps yeah um, muddy dicks hidden porn dirty men mm-hmm. cowboy daddies cowboy daddies paper flowers yeah hula hooping mm-hmm. um Kristen Stewart Kristen (laughs) Kristen Stewart shows up as a a great turn in this movie we didn't even get to talk about her performance (laughs) what a stupid joke that we just kept going no I'm sorry I just I I have trouble keeping all those you're fine it's like is it it, it's Kristen Wiig Kristen Wiig Kristen so it's Kristen Wiig Kirsten Dunst Kristen Stewart Kristen Stewart okay um Christina Applegate Okay, I got that one. That one's pretty um, good. Kristen Chenoweth. Kristen Chenoweth. Um, I'll keep Kirstie Alley. Yeah. I can't keep any of these straight. Oh, anyway, <laughs> that's not a fun game yeah. for anyone. Anyway, go see Power of the Dog. And while you're doing that, 
go check out our Instagram and our Twitter. That's him a very gay. Please follow us. We also have a we have a letterbox now. Yeah, we'll and... start posting some lists and like showing what we're watching and yeah. Um, so that's Cinema Very Gay and Letterbox, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's right. We'll see you in two weeks. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.